Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Tom Williams to the show. Hi there, Jeremy. Lovely to be here. Tom is the CEO of DealPoint. They are a deal mapping and customer collaboration platform for complex sales. We're not going to talk about their product, but we will definitely get into the concepts of deal mapping and customer collaboration because our topic today has kind of a catchy way of describing it. It's the deal does not end when it's sold. So that's going to be our topic. Before we do that, I always love to get to know our guests a little bit. So, Tom, I'm wondering if you have an interesting or unusual hobby in your life. I'm big into longbow archery. So I have uh, just an English longbow. It's six foot long. It's got about a 50 pound draw, uh, wildly inaccurate. The safest place you can be is right in front of the target because uh, I have near zero chance of hitting you if you're right in front of the bullseye. Gosh, <laughs> I was wondering when you said when you said safest places right in front of the target, I was thinking just in general for English longbows or in particular your archery skills? I think in particular me, sometimes yeah, we'll go to the archery range and the guys with the compounds, you can't even see it move. But with the, with the longbow, you can see the arrow. It still would hurt, but it's just wildly, wildly inaccurate. But very, very satisfying that it's such a simple tool that does the same thing as this super complicated piece of machinery standing next to me. I shoot uh, Olympic recurve bows. Oh, nice. But not with the same draw as you. I'm like, I don't know, 35, 40 pounds. So that 50 pound draw is no joke. I think if it was less of a draw, I'd be more accurate. <laughs> Take some time to build up to that. Well, uh, let's, so let's transition from uh, from archery. <laughs> and I'm sure there's good metaphors we're going to be able to play on. Yeah, it's all about hitting targets, right? Yes, it's all about hitting targets, but um, I love that. When I asked you about the topic you want to talk about today, you said that you know the deal does not end at sold. So why is that near and dear to your heart? Yeah, there's a lot of competition out there uh, for what you're selling. And the, I see this years-long trend that the buyers are way better educated than they used to be. So your role as a seller isn't to describe your product and close your product. Your role as a seller is to help them figure out how to fix their problem. And it was very, very unlikely that just buying your product immediately fixes their problem. If they're buying coal, then yes, here's a, here's a ton of coal that costs 600 bucks. We're done here. But the chances are, especially if you're selling a SaaS, that there's a, a longer term problem that you're trying to fix. So we call uh, close day, we call that boat payment day. So you're super happy. You're the sales guy. Bang. I, I got my commission. I made my boat payment. But on the on the like the longer term scale of value, that's the worst day for the customer because they just made a bet that you didn't lie to them and that you are going to deliver on all your promises. So in terms of their experience, that's their most nervous. They told their boss, we need to give $100,000 to these guys. And if it all goes wrong, it's 100% my fault. I'll take the blame and you know, fall on my sword. So they're not feeling good at that point. Where you want to focus on is the day we call, thank God I gave you money day. <laughs> and that's going to be three, four months down the line after implementation, after the product has started to work to fix the problem. Then you want that phone call where they say, Jeremy, thank God I gave you guys money. You saved my butt. I'm glad I went with you. I'm glad I placed that bet. And so if you can align on that day and focus on that day, that thank God I gave you money day rather than boat payment day, then two things happened. First of all, the customer sees, oh, this guy is thinking all about, thank God I gave you money day, which helps your trust. It also makes implementation way smoother because another one of the low points is 
like say <laughs> with sales off, for example, a couple of weeks in, you're like, huh, I'm not getting all the responses I was expecting to get. But that's because you're only two weeks into your cadences. And we all know that cadences take six weeks, or you've got to refine your script a couple iterations to really nail it. But at that two-week period, you're like, ah, did I make a bad bet? And you're feeling bad. But if you can say, look, we told you that the thank God I gave you money day is about two months down the line. We're two weeks in. Don't worry. We're exactly where we would expect to be. Then you can alleviate some of that natural concern where they're thinking, did I make the right bet? You say, look, we told you we weren't going to see results yet. We were going to see results in two months. And we're two weeks in. Don't worry. Everything's on track. That's why you got to focus on those days. I have a lot of thoughts and questions, and I'm going to rewind to the beginning of something you said, which I'm actually in violent agreement with, which is, you know, I mean, everyone has read the challenger research that buyers are X way through the buying process before they engage. What's interesting is, you know, I agree with that. Whenever I've engaged with a vendor slash partner, I've had a problem I needed to solve, right? I needed to improve my forecast accuracy, Mm -hmm. or I needed to um, do some work on territory assignment or pay you know, sales compensation, or I needed a deal mapping and customer collaboration platform, like whatever it was, like I engaged because I had that particular need. And yet, like the other part of the challenger thing is that you're supposed to bring people ideas for problems they didn't know they had. I don't think anyone has ever sold me something in the B2B context has ever sold me something I didn't think I needed. Two Fridays ago, one of my SDRs reached out to this company And they had that very, so our our messaging is all about helping forecast accuracy. That's one of our messages. And that very afternoon, the sales enablement uh, operations guy had been chatting with the CRO about how the hell do we get our late stage forecast more accurate because uh, we're killing um, implementation. We keep getting the timeline wrong for implementation. And that very afternoon, Conrad, uh, one of our SDRs, called in or emailed in, I don't remember, with, hey, we can help you fix this problem. I think the thing that like uh, Keenan's talking about in gap selling is and challenger of understand the problem. I'm not going to tell you about a problem that you don't know you have, but I might be able to tell you about an underlying reason that that problem happens. So I think that's where the education part can come in. So like what, what you said just now, nobody has ever called to say, I need deal mapping and collaboration software, but they do say my deals are going dark two thirds of the way through. And so that's the actual problem that we can help with. So that's where you're helping them understand why that problem is happening. If you can help them understand why the problem is happening, then that's that commercial insight that Challenger talks about or the gap sell that Keenan talks about, that the difference of what you're missing, because I've seen this a thousand times. I've talked to a thousand people that have a similar problem. The problem is, in, in sales office case, they don't have a consistent message. Every SDR is shooting from the hip. That's why you're not nailing the the landing, uh, et cetera. You know, it gets my blood pressure, anxiety level up to to think about that message of you need to come in and tell people about problems that they don't realize they have. And I, I just, it, 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 it doesn't pass my BS meter because I've never experienced that. But I love your subtlety, which is they know they have problems. What they don't necessarily know are the ways to solve those problems. They don't necessarily know the root causes and they don't know how to address those root causes. At least they'd be willing to listen to your take on the root cause. Because the other thing is, if they don't have budget for this problem already, you're you're probably wasting it. Either you're real cheap or you're wasting your time this quarter or this half or whatever the cycle is. 
So the other trick is to figure out how do I address the problem that you're experiencing right now? Otherwise, it's just not going to, they're not going to care. They already have a mandate to fix the other problem. Yeah. I might challenge the budget thing in that most of the things that, you know, people at, at my level end up purchasing and we're probably considered to be the economic buyer. Although, you know, in order for us to buy something at the company, we need, you know, we need to wrangle the five or six traditional people, right? Our, our security and privacy people, our finance people, our tech systems people, you know, we have to get all these people sort of all aligned. But I do think if you come in with something, right, the CRO or the CMO, the CXO, right, whatever, yeah. whatever you're selling into, like that person can tap into a pretty good chunk of money. I agree with the actual dollars and cents. I totally agree. What I'm talking about more is if it's not an initiative or a priority that's important to them, then they're not going to reallocate budget. In my experience, if you can tie into something that they're thinking about, the budget flows flows freely. And the other funny thing is, especially with the kind of sales that, that I do, it's rarely the money that's the problem. It's nearly always the change management that people are nervous about because you know, deal point costs 70 bucks a month uh, per seat. So everybody can afford that. You can certainly afford a pilot. That The budget isn't the kicker. It's the how much effort is this going to be? That's the kicker. And unless you're a $100,000 implementation for the first time thing, it's not the money, it's the change management. And that's why it's the mind share part that needs to be in alignment with something they were already worried about. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that we're shifting... It's our new fiscal year has just started recently and we're shifting our operational rhythm for how we do pipeline reviews, deal reviews, and so on. And you know, we shift talented people throughout the organization so that they learn new roles. Mm-hmm. We have an, uh, a person who just shifted from our enablement team into you know the sort of sales operations role, and she's going to help revamp our processes. And it was that was the first thing I said to her also is like the tech is easy, the process actually is pretty easy. The hardest part is getting you know, all the salespeople, all the sales managers, all the RVPs, you know, mm-hmm. to to actually change. And I think I, I said, like, step one is you got to make sure that the CRO is willing to hold people accountable. So if you're in a deal review and yep. they don't use the process that you've outlined, that's a no-no, right? Like the, the CRO needs to tell them, no, we're not going to do it this way. Open up, you know, this tool, follow this process, mm-hmm. because otherwise it, they just will continue on with their old habits. I saw a really cool podcast with Tim O'Hay the other day from Workday. It was him, it was Paul Curtio from um, Juniper Networks, and it was with the Sales Enablement Society January talk. Really cool. He said, uh, you can change process or you can change technology, but you can't do both at the same time because the adoption will just plummet. So I agree with that too. Get, get it in place and nail it on a, at a paper level and then when you've stopped messing around with it at a paper level, then automate it. That makes a lot of sense to me. When I'm on the buying side and someone tells me like it's a three-month implementation cycle, I, I want to not pay, <laughs> right? Like as a buyer, I don't know if you run into this, but like I don't want to pay full freight for those three months when my users are not using. H- how do you deal with that objection? This is personal because it really depends what your value prop is. But I really like a fast win at like 30 days and then a bigger win six months out. If you really do have nothing to show for that 
first six months, then, I mean, it's extremely high chance that you just signed a, a two-year deal or something. But it's important that you set that expectation up front because you can say, look, we're doing this, this is a year-long value and at month six, you'll see a million dollars return. If it really is a two or three-month implementation process, I would separate implementation versus seeing value because like with Salesloft, it takes two weeks to implement realistically, but you're not going to see an increase in meeting set for a month, maybe six weeks, maybe even two months, because it takes a while to nail the the cadence. So you got to express to them, like, I don't care about the two weeks. Really, it's the one month mark where I'm like, I'm not seeing any results here, buddy. That's what you need to protect against by setting an expectation. When are they going to see value? So I would separate that there's, there's the pre-sale, there's implementation, and then there's value. And you want to focus on that day of, on that value mark of when the value is going to start kicking in and be honest about it because you're going to, you're going to come up across that point in, in that dip and you don't want to have the conversation then, oh, no, no, don't worry. I, I know I didn't tell you there'd be no value for four months before you signed. I, I totally agree. It is all about the expectation setting. And, and if anything, like I would set a longer expectation for how long implementation time takes because mm-hmm. like you, you just don't want to go over that whatever 95% you know chance of completing within the expected window because you just you don't want to go over that well, well that, that's the nice thing about setting an expectation is because you on the one hand you want to be aggressive so that they're not dropping the ball and on the other hand you want to be realistic so there's there's definitely a balance there one thing i found is that that sales people think their sales cycle is way shorter than it actually is and every single deal is an exception like, oh, you normally it's, we have a 90 day cycle, only every single deal takes 130 days. Well, maybe you have a 130 day cycle and it's fine. What the worst thing is to have your head in the sand and not know what it is, because then you're just disappointing your boss and your customer and fooling yourself. It's way better to actually know what the facts are and either fix it and you make it faster by improving the process or acknowledging what reality is. E- either one of those two I'm fine with. I just don't like um, surprises. Picking up on that exact theme around like having an estimate around when your deal will close, up till now, either the data or the algorithms have not been good enough to outpredict a human, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in an enterprise deal. In a transactional deal, maybe, but in an enterprise deal, right, there's so much information that historically has not been captured. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, obviously, given what you do. I'm curious if you think that the data is there in whatever deal scorecards and conversation intelligence and all those other pieces. Like, is the is the data sufficient to start to outpredict when a deal will close relative to humans? I really, I really don't think so. Two data points in on that: as a, a buddy of mine's at an enterprise, uh, he's an enterprise CRO. He bought a um, forecasting intelligence software, which shall remain nameless, and. Uh, it said your you know, your quarter number is going to be like six million bucks or something, but he said, you know what, my team is saying three million. I think they're sandbagging and we can do three five. So he put three five on the board, and they came in at like three six, you know, something real close. But if he had put in what the software recommended, he'd have been nailed to the wall for dramatically missing his forecast. And then I was chatting with another guy the other day because uh, I was talking about. Uh, you know, the idea of happy ears where you can't trust the reps estimate because they hear, oh, that looks really cool. And they hear sold. So we were talking about, do you trust the rep 
and you discount each rep's enthusiasm for the forecast, or do you just go on the numbers of where at which stage are we at? And really, I think that the biggest job of the salesperson is to look at that data. So what we believe is if you can look at a deal and see what has been done and what hasn't been done. So the idea of a mutual action plan is there's six milestones to value uh, for the customer, say, in your particular circumstance. And on milestone two, it's stuck. That's going to be a way better predictor of is the deal going to close on time versus I sent them the proposal. Because why did you send them the proposal? That's the typical opportunity stage. And every Salesforce thing I've ever seen means when you send them a proposal, that means 75% chance to close. But I think it's way more relevant. Have the, the right people accepted your invitation to participate in the mutual action plan? Because if the CRO and the CFO and whoever else you would expect to be there are there and they've looked at the, the plan, that's a way better indicator than did the rep send a proposal? Because God knows why the rep did that, except that they wanted to get to 75% confidence. On the happy years thing, I also find few, few reps ask me this, like sometimes I am in serious buying mode and sometimes I'm in learning mode. Mm-hmm. And reps seem afraid to ask me that question, like, some version of are you a serious buyer? Is this is this yeah. viable? They just so at some point I'll just tell them, right? Like I'm learning right now. I'm not yeah. I'm not there yet. Or I was on a call. I've had two calls actually in the last two weeks. I gotten curious about the sort of process workflow space for sales. Mm-hmm. And like there are purpose-built process workflows like what we do and what you guys do. And then there are like I would call them general purpose workflows. The super general purpose would be like a monday.com or a mm-hmm. jira or whatever but there's something in the middle where you can you can do a little bit of if this then that and can mm-hmm. and, you know configure a custom process more flexibly and i'm i'm talking to one of these companies and i've had two two meetings with them and the last meeting i actually said can you outline for me the six use cases that i could use your thing for and then let's figure out which one of those would be the most valuable to us. Yeah. You know, you you guys are a workflow platform, right? Custom built for, you know, managing deals and collaborating with customers. Well, I would say one of, one of the markers you can do as a good salesperson is there's the benefit that you know, the, of whatever your product promises as a benefit. It's XYZ. And any customer should get excited about that because why wouldn't you want a benefit? When you dig into how does it actually happen, what is the process to make it happen? So that's what a mutual action plan does. And somebody who's just interested in learning isn't really going to care how it happens because you don't care. So it's a great flag of, did the buyer agree to engage in a mutual action plan? If they didn't, they're probably just lucky-loose and you're kind of interested at an intellectual level. Uh, when you get down to the, yeah, I do want to know how that would work. And why, why on earth is it going to take four months to implement? If, and then you say, well, they, we've got to do one, two, we've got to do the, the security audit, and then we've got to make blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, okay, I get it. If they don't care about that, then they're probably nowhere near ready to buy. Yeah, I, I agree. One is that agreement. I think the other one for me is if they're willing to introduce you to someone someone else with mm-hmm. a degree of authority in the organization, if if they're not willing to make that intro, uh, I mean, I, I like your word, looky-loo, uh, then they're just, they're, they're just a looky-loo. I'm going to throw some objections at you for mutual action plans that I that I hear from people as as I talk to them. So 
Here are the three most common ones. And the reason I want you to react to them is because I actually want reps to adopt mutual plans. Uh-huh. So I got to get I got to get the sales world to the best of my ability past these objections. Yeah. So the first is um, I don't want a system to auto nudge my client that they didn't do something like I want to control the communication. I don't want the system to do that. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, this is a two way challenge. So this is their plan. Ultimately, the the goal of the mutual action plan is to get them to adopt it as their plan because you want them to say, boss, you told me to fix X, Y, Z. Jeremy has been kind enough to help me understand how to do that. Here is the path to our success. What do you think? So you're not nudging them. And I don't agree with automated pushes. I don't think that's a good idea. You can certainly give automated updates as to where are we at here together on accomplishing the mutual goals that we have. And one of the nice things about a good mutual action plan is if you have their calendar on it as well, so the compelling events that are important to them, like a board meeting or there's a new regulation, or we were given a mission of having a 20% improvement in uh, SDR performance by the end of next quarter, then you're working backwards to that. So you're not saying you haven't bought my software yet. You're saying we're running at risk of not hitting your 20% lift in sale in SDR meetings. I'm not even talking about my product. You're just, we're risking the plan here because you haven't done it yet. So that's how I would answer that. It's a, you're helping them with a project. You're not trying to get them to sell, to buy your software. I like the automated updates. I think that's that's a better way. And I think the way the, the, the language of those automated updates is is obviously important as well. It's not you're overdue yeah. for the task of XYZ. It's it's a software. Well, we, uh, we don't use the T word, Jeremy. We, we don't use the T word. Uh, <laughs> In DealPoint software, we have milestones, which are the big things. And then underneath, there are outcomes that need to happen in order to achieve the milestone. Because we're all working here together to get to the end value prop, which is loud and proud at the top of the plan. And yet there's no tasks. There's people responsible for making the milestones happen. But that's completely different than I'm giving you a task and I'll scold you if you don't get it done on time. Got it. Yeah, I, I like I like that. So the next one is that the prospect will never go into the tool. Yeah, uh, there's two thoughts there. One, if they're not engaging at all, then you were probably presumptuous in, are they interested? Because if they really want to implement this solution and fix their problem efficiently, they're going to engage in the mutual action plan. And this is forget deal point. This is just any plan. You can share them a PDF or a spreadsheet. As long as you have an updated plan of what am I doing here? Then if they're not engaging at all, then they're not serious. And you're Uh, Alice Hyman has this fantastic analogy. You're here, you're equal, you're walking along together. If the buyer stops walking forward and the seller takes two steps instead to try to pull them along, all you actually end up doing is being further away from the buyer. So if I keep on plowing through, I'm going to do the thing. You're completely disconnected from the buyer and continuing on (laughs) with a mutual action plan without the other person. It's now then a sales action plan and you're probably not going to get the sale. It's not mutual anymore. Yeah, there's a concept in Sandler like that about uh, something, the pendulum, but you sort of have to have to be behind the momentum of the prospect. Yeah. You can't be pulling them, you know, dragging them through to the end of the sales process. It doesn't work. You can push stuff real easy. If you send an update, they're consuming it. They want to know, you know where are we on this deal? They don't have to log into stuff to still want to know where are we at. And you want to make something that is presentable for your champion to present to their boss. Don't worry, boss. We are on track to fix our problem, not. I'm on track to buy sales loft. The boss does not care about buying the software. The boss cares about fixing the problem. 
Brilliant. Well, if people want to learn more about DealPoint or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, DealPoint.io is the easiest way. I, I, I do a lot of posting on uh, LinkedIn. There's 6,000 Tom Williamses. So it's the Tom Williams, the DealPoint one. <laughs> uh, DealPoint Tom Williams. I love it. There are only two people on the planet with my exact name spelling, but the other one is an Aboriginal didgeridoo player. So that is not me. <laughs> I, I just shoot, I, just like you, I just shoot arrows. Right on. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on, Tom. Yeah, really good fun. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 